Would you pray with me, please? Definitely, we capture the wonder on that Christmas Eve night when we consider what it must have been like on that holy night. After hundreds of years since the last prophecy of the coming of the Messiah was written, silence did find its end when you came in flesh and the word was manifested before our very eyes. And those first witnesses that were there that night, the angels, the shepherds, Joseph and Mary themselves, had to be pondering all that had been said to them for Joseph and Mary, the personal messages given from the angels, but then the shepherds from the chorus of angels. And then to be mindful of what they had learned since they were young, that this child would be born and he'd be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. What a special moment that it must have been. And we account for it now because we want to continue to teach from generation to generation that God didn't just sit on his hands and and step back when, when mankind decided to rebel against you, God. No, you, you decided to reconcile us back to you, knowing we had no ability on our own. We are inept, but you are not. So Jesus, then you responded to the love and compassion of the, of the Father, and, and you came, you humbled yourself, you became part of us. And then you modeled for us life that truly will bring peace. And you become our champion. Our champion for that which escapes us. As hard as we may try to be peacemakers, you are the one that makes lasting peace. And so we come to you, we worship you, and now we ask that you would open our hearts, our ears uh, to this time and the word as we consider the peace that you alone can bring to that fullest end. So we ask for your anointing and your power and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this morning, I want to introduce somebody to you. His name is Nick Vargas, and he is our uh, pastor to senior high students. Uh, we had him intern for us uh, four years ago, and uh, we didn't want him to stay away very long. And we had the opportunity to bring him on our team back in August. He's doing a great job, and he makes me feel young because I actually have hair he does not. Uh, but he has clearly a younger face, and so you're going to see his heart uh, unfold before you. He loves Jesus, so I'm excited for you guys to hear from him. Would you welcome Nick to the stage, please? Thank you. I'm not going to lie. That was one of my fears in speaking up here. I was like, is the light going to shine off my head and, like, mess with the cameras? Like, is, is it going to be weird? <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of my fears. Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. Does everybody feel rested, rested after Christmas? Somewhat? Well, hopefully, throughout the day, you get time to rest. Uh, I have the privilege of wrapping up our Christmas series, where we've been taking a look at Isaiah 9-6, which states this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We've been taking a look at each of these titles and applying them to the person of Jesus, knowing that he is the Messiah. And we've been taking a look at his life and his ministry and applying these titles, and now we land on the last one, the Prince of Peace. So what I want to do is I want to give you a layout of where we're headed this morning. First, I want to start off by defining this word peace. The title Prince of Peace doesn't mean much if we don't know what peace actually means. And then from there, I want to track this concept of peace throughout the biblical story. Reason being because peace is pretty important to God. It's not something that just pops up randomly, but it is a consistent theme throughout the biblical story. And it beautifully culminates and builds up to the person we call the Prince of Peace. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let us open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, speak to your people this morning. Lord, I pray that we would fall to our knees and worship you as Prince of Peace this morning. God, you do not give as the world gives. You have left left us your peace, God, and I pray that we would rest in that, we would pursue that, and we would look to the future with hope because of that. Lord, we give you this time. May you be glorified. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start off by prefacing something that Pastor Tony has highlighted with each title, and that is in verse 6, it makes, Isaiah makes a point to say the government will be on his shoulders. In the following verse, in verse 7, it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And that he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Isaiah makes it clear that this person, this Messiah that would come, this child, will be in authority that he will reign on David's throne, that there will be no end to his government and peace. I think that's important to note with each title, but particularly here with Prince of Peace, because in our world, I feel like sometimes we think peace and authority can't go together. Somehow, if we have peace, it's lacking authority, or if there's authority present, peace can't be present. But here, Isaiah says the opposite. He says, this authority figure, this Messiah that will come, will be someone in authority. And there will be no end to his government and his peace. So he's called prince because he will be someone in authority. Now, what does peace mean? What do we mean by peace? I don't know about you, but when I hear this word, I always think of the movie scene from Kung Fu Panda, where (laughs) Master Shifu is, is just trying to, to, to calm himself. And he keeps repeating to himself, inner peace, inner peace. And while he's doing that, the main character Poe is in the background making all this noise and ruckus. And so you can see this is bothering Master Shifu. And <laughs> my favorite part is that you can see it in his ear. His ear will move as he hears noises. And so he keeps repeating to himself, inner peace, inner peace, and his ears moving, until finally it it just builds up, and he loses it. He goes, will you stop that? It's a funny example, but I think Master Shifu highlights 
our worldly mindset of what peace is. That it's this lack of disturbance or calmness. The biblical usage of peace is actually much larger, and it rests heavily on the Hebrew word shalom. Can everybody say shalom with me? Shalom. Good. Shalom means to be complete or to be sound. The verb shalom refers to a dynamic or static meaning of being complete or to live well. As a noun, shalom can, has several nuances, but it generally can be in four categories. It can refer to wholeness of life or body. It can be right relationship or harmony between people. It can refer to prosperity, success, or fulfillment. Or it can refer to victory over one's enemies or an absence of war. So that's the word, the Hebrew word shalom. Now, peace in the Greek is irene. Can everybody say irene with me? Irene. Yeah, so good job. You can go here saying you learned Hebrew and Greek. So the Greek word was actually heavily influenced by the Hebrew word shalom. And the, the word shalom actually has a much broader usage. And so you'll hear me referring to shalom more frequently. But the point is that together, they paint this overarching picture of wholeness and something being complete. So biblically, we can define peace as a whole, fulfilling, complete, and harmonious reality amongst God and his creation. I'm going to say that again. Biblically, we can define peace as a whole, fulfilling, complete, and harmonious reality amongst God and his creation. Everybody tracking with me so far? Awesome. I, I saw some nods. You guys in the back, you're not falling asleep. I know it was just Christmas, but okay, I got a thumbs up. So if that's what peace is, now I want to look at it through the biblical story. So we have to start from the beginning. Open up your Bibles to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. That's where God creates everything that we know. It's the beginning of everything. And there's a couple things that I want to highlight. From the very beginning, starting in the very first verse, we see that God is a God of order. God has an order of which he does things. Starting in verse 1, it says he separated the heavens from the earth. And then in verses 3 to 5, it says he separated the light from the dark. And he called the light day and he called the darkness night. And we had our first day. And then following that in verses 9 to 10, it says he separated the land from the seas. It is clear God is not a God of chaos. He's not doing things randomly. But there's order to which he does things. In verse 20, God starts creating living creatures. And he says, this is good. At the end of verse 31, actually, he looks at all he creates and acknowledges this is very good. I don't know if you guys have ever created something. I'm not very artistic. I can't draw but I have had moments where I have something in my head and I'm like, I want to try and draw this. And then I try and draw it and it just does not go well. For other things or for other people, we might have this idea in our minds and when we try to execute it, it works out. And we go, that's exactly how I pictured it. And we can go, that is very good. 
That's how I picture God, God creating everything, looking at it and going, this is exactly the way I intended it. What God means when he says that it is good, he is saying it is as it ought to be. It is as it ought to be. It is lacking nothing. It is perfect. Also notice how there is authority present in Genesis 1. God gives authority to human beings over the living creatures and the earth. And God himself is authority over all of it. Yet there is perfect peace. This calls back to, to what Isaiah was talking about. How in the kingdom of God, there is authority present, but there is perfect peace. The other thing I want to note here in Genesis 1 is that this creation is good and there is peace because the God who created it is good and he is peace. When God creates something, it is of himself. And so when a good God who is peace creates something, it is good and it is peace and it is perfect. Because peace does not come from a circumstance or our surroundings. Peace comes from a person, and that person is God. In Genesis 1, we see that in the reality God has created, there is peace. There is shalom. Now, turn with me to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where everything just starts going downhill. If you don't know the story, God says, I've created all of this. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. This over here, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. Again, enjoy all of this for you. This right here, don't touch it. Don't eat from it. What do you think they did? Yeah, they ate from it. And in, in doing so, they rebelled against the very God that created them. Here is where sin enters the picture. If you don't know what sin means, sin literally means to miss the mark. If God has an intention for his creation, if he creates it to be perfect, sin literally means to miss the mark of what God intended for his creation. But what I want to call to attention is the aftermath of this rebellion. Take a look at verse 16 with me. Verses 16 to 19. It says, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. It is clear that everything God has created has been disrupted. So often, I know for me, I minimize the fall to just human beings did a bad thing, we are separated from God, and now God wants to reunite. It is that, but notice everything is impacted. Eve's body is impacted. The way she's going to give birth is changed. Adam and Eve's relationship is impacted. God says, you will desire 
your husband, but he will rule over you. And the part that I often overlook is what God says to Adam. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. The very earth that you're standing on, my creation is impacted by this rebellion. The reality of peace, the reality of shalom that God created has been disrupted. A reality that was once complete now misses the mark. When I think of this, I think of a record player. For those of you who know what a record player is, I will be honest, I've only seen them in movies or shows. I, I had to ask people in the office, like, hey, how do record, records play a words? Like, it's a needle, right? Luckily, my brother just got one, so I got to see a little bit of, of how that works. But what happens when the record gets scratched? The sound gets disrupted. This beautiful sound that comes from this record player gets disrupted. And what's different is, like with an iPod or an MP3, if something's broken in it, it just won't play music. With a record player, it will play, but it will play that distorted and disrupted sound. It will skip. Similarly, with the fall, humanity was impacted. All of God's creation was impacted by this act of rebellion, destined to play this distorted and disrupted sound. Here, God begins his redemption plan in order to restore his shalom in humanity, creation, and relationships. Peace does not come from a circumstance or surroundings. Peace comes from a person, and that person is God. Now turn with me to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. So following the rebellion, God goes, I'm going to restore this earth. I'm going to restore people. I'm going to restore all of it. But I'm going to do it by identifying a particular group of people. Here, he makes a promise to a man named Abraham. In verses 2 to 3, we see two things promised to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. But I'm also, I'm going to do it so that I can bless the world. I'm going to impact the world through you. And so we see this promise passed down through Abraham's descendants. God stays true to his promise. This promise is passed down to Abraham's son Isaac. And Isaac passes it, it's passed down to Isaac's son Jacob. And Jacob actually gets renamed Israel. And it's through Jacob's sons that the nation of Israel comes to be. So we see God identify Abraham's descendants as Israel through this promise that he makes to Abraham. And they are established as his people. God's redemption plan to get the world back to its state of peace will be done through Israel, the descendants of Abraham. Once again, peace, not from any circumstance, but from God. Now turn to Exodus 20 with me. I told you, we're going to do the whole Bible story here in 20 minutes. So God says, I've identified you as my people. You are mine. And I'm going to use you to change the world. And so following Jacob's son, Joseph, was a leader in Egypt. And following this horrible famine, the Israelites end up in Egypt. But after Joseph dies, they end up being enslaved. 
For hundreds of years, they cry out, going, God, rescue us. If we're your people, come save us. And God, through a dramatic display of power and miracles, he rescues his people. He delivers them out of Egypt from their enemies and toward a promised land that he has promised them. But in doing so, he says, you are my people. I have rescued you as my people. Now, I want to give you a way to live as my people. And so he gives them the law, these 10 commands that are a way of life. I want to read these for you. And as I do, I want you to listen through the lens of peace, through this lens of shalom that we're talking about. Law one, you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything, in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. For the kids and teenagers in the room, I'm going to say that one again. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Tell the truth. And you shall not covet your neighbor's belongings. Don't be consumed with jealousy for something someone else has. What are you guys hearing through this law? So often, I, I myself minimize these 10 commands as just this rule book that God goes, well, you're my people now. This is what I want you to do. Do it. But here, through this lens, I see that the law is so much deeper and so much more than that. These are more than just rules. God is establishing a life of peace, a life of shalom, a life of Irene. He's establishing a way of peace for them. This law is the way back to peace. This law is the way back to this peace that God intends for his creation. And he says, by doing this, you will shine a light of peace to the world. You will shine a light of what it looks like to be my people. God gave the Israelites the law as a way back to shalom. God, God is the source of peace. Not circumstance, not their surroundings, but God. Now turn with me to 1 Samuel 8. Here, God has identified his people. He has rescued his people, and he has given them a way to live as his people. But the Israelites get to a point where they go, we want a king. Everybody else has an earthly king. Give us a king. And this upsets God. Here in 1 Samuel 8, we see them demand this king, and we see God's response. So follow along with me. I want to read verses 5 to 9. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, 
but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So the people go, give us a king. Everybody else has a king. We want one. But God sees the heart, and God goes, they're rejecting me as their king. This has been the problem from the beginning. All I wanted was to be with you. I am the authority here. I am your king. You still don't want me as your king. I have identified you. I have rescued you. I've given you a way to live, and you still reject me as your king. And so God, prom- God tells them, this is not going to go well. This is not what I intended. And it doesn't go well for Israel. Israel goes through a line of broken, flawed, and sinful kings. They go through trials due to their rejection of God as their king. It gets so bad that that Israel ends up splitting into two. God warned them. But the beautiful thing about this part of the story is that God, he always works things according to his will, according to his plan, and according to his goodness. So even in them demanding for an earthly king and rejecting God as their king, God says, I'm going to use these kings to bring about my peace here. In establishing an earthly king, God seeks to use authority figures to bring about peace, to bring about shalom. This peace does not come from a circumstance. This peace comes from a person, and that person is God. And this takes us to the prophets. The prophets were people who would speak on behalf of God. God would give them a message, and they would articulate it to the people. Thus saith the Lord. There was a consistent message among these prophets that there was a chosen one coming, a Messiah, a Christ, that will be the redemption and salvation for all people. And in this message... There was also a consistent theme of peace, that this Messiah would be bringing peace to the earth. Zechariah 9.10, in talking about a king of Zion, says, And he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall speak peace to the nations. And in Micah 5.5, in talking about a leader coming from Bethlehem, he says, And he shall be their peace. So this coming Messiah, this king is coming, and he will speak peace to the nations, but he will also be their peace. God communicates to the world that a Messiah would come and bring about shalom. He says, you wanted a king, I'm going to send a king that will be the one that brings about my peace here on earth. So Israel waits, and they cry out, just like they did in Egypt, God, when are you rescuing us? When is the Savior coming? And then one day, a child is born. A day we just celebrated yesterday, a child is born that would be the redemption and salvation for all things. This child was named Jesus. Jesus would grow to a man claiming to be God. A man who would preach a a message of repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would live a life of peace. 
revealing the kingdom of God to a world of chaos. And then he would die on a cross. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. Here in Isaiah, he's referring to a suffering servant, this Messiah. The Israelites thought this was going to be this powerful military leader, this political figure. And here Isaiah says he's going to be a suffering servant. So starting in verse 2, I want to read verses 2 to 5, Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The penalty for sin, the penalty for missing the mark is death. And this man, Jesus, not only lived a life of peace, revealing the kingdom of God, but then he dies on a cross. And in doing so, he takes up our penalty. He says, if this is, what is, if this is the debt, if this is the penalty that is due because of your rebellion of me, I want to pay that. I gave you this way to live, these Ten Commands, this way of shalom, knowing you couldn't do it. This road I gave you back to shalom, I know you can't walk it. So I'm going to walk it for you. I'm going to come down to earth as a man, and I'm going to live the perfect life of peace and love, and then I'm going to pay your penalty. I'm going to be crucified on that cross so that peace could be possible again here. And the beautiful thing about this story, church, is that it doesn't end with the death of Jesus, does it? Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus paid our penalty on the cross and then rose again, defeating sin, death, and chaos on the cross. The gospel is about not only the salvation and redemption of humanity, but the redemption of all God's creation. It is a story of how he restored everything. In the resurrection, God begins restoring his creation back to peace. The redemption plan through the gospel was not to bring about the, was to bring about the kingdom of God, shalom, to all the earth and relationships. That is the Prince of Peace. That is who the Prince of Peace is. The Prince of Peace is Jesus, the one through whom all things would be restored back to peace. The one who would live and die for his creation. It is through Christ that all things are redeemed, and it is through Christ 
that all things are brought back to harmony and peace. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm just left in awe. Just, God, we praise you for the Prince of Peace, knowing that we have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. But what does that mean for us, church? It's, we, we know who the Prince of Peace is. It's Jesus. But as people who have a relationship with him, what does this mean? In Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we find peace inward, outward, and in the age to come. We find peace inward. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus says, I'm giving you my peace. When talking about the wonderful counselor, Pastor Tony said, Jesus gives us his spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. So when Jesus says, I'm leaving you my peace, he literally means, I am giving you my peace. And I don't give to you as the world gives. So what could you possibly be afraid of? What could possibly trouble you? Knowing that you are a child of God and that nothing can separate you from the love of God, what is there to be afraid of? Death itself is not even the end. We as followers of Jesus have a peace that passes all understanding that we could possibly have here on earth. This inward peace of knowing that we belong to God. We also have outward peace. In passages like Romans 12, 18, we are called to live as far as it depends on us in peace. So that means peace is not just this inward thing that we experience, but it's also something we pursue outward. Just like God said to his people, to Israel, now he says to us, going, you are my light of peace to the world. If we don't have it here, how could we possibly get it out there? It is through you that I am restoring peace to this world. Pursue peace with one another as far as it depends on you. So we have peace inward, we have peace outward, and then we have peace in the age to come. You see, when Jesus died and rose again, he began restoring all that there is. But there will be a day where that work will be complete. There will be a day where everything is brought back to completion. There will be harmony and nothing but. So much so that in Isaiah 11, he says the leopard will lay down with the goat. There will be peace amongst God's creation, even the living creatures. And there will be peace with God and his people. I want to close by reading for you Revelation 21. In here, we get an image of what it will look like when this work is complete. What it will look like when everything is brought to completion. When it, this reality God has created is brought back to being whole, complete, fulfilling, and harmonious. And as I read this, I want to just give you the time. If you want to close your eyes, you can do so. I want to give you time to worship the Prince of Peace. Peace 
does not come from any circumstance or anything you are going through. Peace comes from God. Peace comes from the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you. We worship you, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. This story, this Bible, this is a beautiful story of how you redeem all that you have created. God, and I pray that it would leave us in awe. It would leave us on our knees worshiping you because peace comes from you. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be people that pursue peace, that we would rest in this inward peace that we have in you, that we would pursue peace with one another, and God, that we would look to the future with hope, knowing that you're restoring all things to peace, that you are in control. God, we thank you for this beautiful story of your redemption plan. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love that led you to come to earth and die on a cross for us. And we thank you that death could not hold you. Lord, we glorify and we magnify your name. We pray this in your name. Amen. Psalm 4610, it says, Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. We're going to take this time, and before we stand and sing together, we're just going to invite you to reflect on this song and these lyrics and, and do the best and healthiest thing you can possibly do for your soul, which is to be still and worship our Prince of Peace.
stand together as we trust in the person, the Prince of Peace.
to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus, our King and Prince of Peace. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be up front or there will be people back in the encounter room. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. You are dismissed. Stop.